Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. Hey, podcast listeners, this is Amy Irvine, and welcome where we sit down and talk about something that's really important to our ecology. The fact that this week in particular was Earth Day week, yes, we extend it into the week, Um, I sit down and talk about some ways that we can save money and become more environmentally friendly. Now, in the course of this conversation, you will hear a winery that I've mentioned quite often. It just so happened that Anna's favorite winery was also Lakewood, which, as you know, is one of our favorites. Um, But this past weekend, um, we, because we've only been back to New York a few weeks, we finally got out and made our voyage trip up to Seneca Lake Wine. And I'm going to tell you, if you have not had a chance to get to the Seneca Lake Wine region, you really, really need to. Uh, I know I keep always saying that, but I have to say, I'm just impressed with how they continue to develop. They are now offering the um, weekday wine pastel um, and the spring wine and cheese event, which is going to be coming up uh, sometime later in the month of April. Uh, We made our way to a couple of new wineries that we had not been to, uh, and I'm going to be featuring them coming up pretty soon, but I'm going to keep that my little secret right now. So remember, uh, life is about events supported by your dollars and cents, and we hope that you make your voyage to your favorite winery, and whether it be a true blue winery or just a drive up the coast or somewhere uh, you enjoy spending some time, but just make life events what you want them to be. You are listening to Wine and Dime, a podcast that combines two passions, wine and personal finance. Hosted by Amy Irvine, certified financial planner and owner of Irvine Wealth Planning Strategies, located in Corning, New York. And now here's your host, Amy Irvine. Welcome to this edition of Wine and Dime with Amy Irvine. Today we have a guest talking about something she's extremely passionate about, and that is our world and the ecology of our world. Anna Rager, did I pronounce it correctly? Yeah, Rieger, um, Rieger. but either way is fine. I, I get everything. <laughs> she is actually a professor at Alfred State College as well, and she has a passion for making sure that our children and grandchildren and many, many people beyond our lives get to use the world in the precious way that we do. Anna, thank you so much for taking time to be on the show today. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So we actually were introduced by one of your co-professors, Scott Dumont, who also happens to be a planner at our firm. Um, we were looking through the various events that take place, um, you know, throughout the course of the months that we plan for the podcast. And I said, I wish I knew somebody that I could talk about for Earth Day. And Scott said, I've got just the person for you. (laughs) (laughs) So um, as you know, if you've listened to any of the podcasts in the past, we love to open up each podcast with a reminder that um, I think our lives are very much like a vineyard. We all have roots. We have vines that grow in various different directions um, that are formed by how we're nurtured. Uh, our flavors, you know, are, are influenced by what's around us. So if we're going to talk about our lives being like a vineyard, then we must talk about our favorite wine first, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so what is your favorite wine? Well, mine is sort of a surprise to me, even, um, although I drink almost exclusively dry red wines, 
My favorite wine of all time is a Lakewood wine called Full Monte Riesling, um, which Mm -hmm. is actually a pretty sweet Riesling. Um, And I can't tell you why I love this wine so much other than I just remember the first time I had it. It was just so surprising and almost exciting. It was like tasting celebration. So when I drink it, it's like the perfect summer celebration wine. Absolutely love it. So this is Lakewood on Seneca Lake? Yes, Lakewood on Seneca. Okay. That is not one of the Rieslings that I have tried. I've tried their three generations. Um, Which is but amazing. Not, oh my gosh, it is. I, you know, not being a huge Riesling fan, I will. there's about two Rieslings in upstate New York that I will recommend to people. One is this, the third generation, three generations by Lakewood. And the other one is by Prejean. Um, yeah. They make a really good Riesling that is, it tricks you because they actually barrel oak age it so it has yeah so it has a hint of chardonnay to it It, you know that oakiness that a chardonnay would have with the body of a riesling yeah well that's interesting i've never tried that one so you you've got one up on me i'll have to i'll have to go up there soon and and taste it maybe this weekend that'll be my journey (laughs) yeah it's it's just a very fun surprising wine and and like i said i wouldn't recommend anything sweet it's just not my taste um, but something about that, it was just, just struck me and absolutely love it. Have it a couple of times a year when there's something really special to celebrate. Well, they will love to hear that. We are very good friends with Lakewood. Um, they, awesome. they, 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 know, they know my credit card number well. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, they're nice people up there. Absolutely love yeah. them. They are great people. You know, that's the, the winery started, you know, with mom and pop and has just continued that feel. And when you walk in, I think, you know, if you've been a long-term customer there, you really, mm-hmm. they, they recognize you and that just makes you feel so much um, more at heart when, when you think about that winery. So, yeah. And for anybody who's listening, who hasn't been to Lakewood on Seneca Lake, you just, you got to incorporate that into your trip. It's, it's so important to feel like they've become much bigger. We've seen them expand hugely, but they still have that good, you know, hometown feel to it, I guess you want to say. Yeah, absolutely. So like wine, there are stages of life that we all go through the stages of the vineyard that, you know, I, as I reference it back that we all go through. So if you wouldn't mind, I'd love for you to share a little bit about your journey um, in life. And then, you know, a little bit about what, why you chose the profession that you did and, and talk about the passion that you've developed um, around being eco-friendly. Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, I really sort of if comparing to a vineyard started sort of tilling the land, planting the vineyard per se. When I was in college, I started college wanting to be a French major Um, But that was when the economy crashed and people weren't getting jobs out of college. So I had a professor say to me, if you want a job, when you get out of college, become an accountant. And I was responsible enough, I guess I'll emphasize enough at that point to say, hey, that makes sense. I definitely want to have a job. I'm paying a bill for my own school. Um. So I just chose accounting, really not even knowing what it was, but found myself pretty good at it. And I worked really, really hard and just did well. And um, even ended up with, towards the end of my college career, getting a free ride to get my master's in tax. So again, had really no interest in tax, but life sort of happens and you end up going these directions and ended up with a free degree from a really good school. So I developed a passion uh, really based on just simple advice of a college professor, Um, but based on what he said, loved financial accounting, really enjoyed tax, and it ended up being a really great career. After I finished school, I started out a big firm, PricewaterhouseCoopers, a lot of people know. Um, and it was great working with incredibly talented, smart, hardworking people really developed me as a professional to 
see big picture, to understand the importance of accounting, to understand what's happening in our economy. But it wasn't for me. Such a big company wasn't for me. So I moved back home. I was living in Denver at the time and moved back home to a small local firm. People might know, uh, Mengel Metzger Bar, and had a really great career there. Worked there for several years, learned about local businesses, small businesses, and developed a passion for understanding the importance of small business in our communities. And even started a small nonprofit company with some of my friends, all because they had this silly tool, accounting. And I'm seeing over these years that this tool of accounting is so impactful and I could do so many things with it. Um, But to some extent, something was still missing in my heart. I didn't feel like I was connecting with people as much as I wanted to. And from there, I was thinking, how can I match this passion of accounting with my heart for people? And from there, I chose to try to get into teaching, which is a difficult task and took a lot of time, uh, but eventually did land my dream job. And I'm so thankful for it. I absolutely love teaching this tool, this really special, powerful tool of accounting to young adults. It's actually a lot of fun. Well, you know, it's funny the road that accounting can take you down because as many people know, I started out with an accounting degree as well and needed to find that intersection of helping people with, while deploying, you know, that passion for mm-hmm. working with the, the rules and regulations, with um, the numbers, um, but but taking it beyond that and, and interacting with people and taking that to, to help people. And it sounds like, you know, you took the teaching path where I took the, I'm going to go down the path of financial planning, but you know, what, what was the, so you, you mentioned that you had a non-for-profit when you worked for Mangle Metzger Bar, which we, we love Mangle Metzger Bar. We, I years ago worked with them a lot when, um, when I used to do a lot of pension work, um, oh, they did great. a lot of yeah. auditing. <laughs> um, yeah, they're, they're great people. And um, in fact, uh, one of the partner's sons actually worked with me for a short period of time at one of the other firms. So I got to know them even a little bit better. But the, um, the, the direction that, you know, when you pivoted and you said, you know, I need to be, I need to be doing something where I can share this knowledge and interact with people. What was, what, what was the drive to do that? Like, you know, what was the passion behind that and and the economics behind it as well? Well, for me, I think the drive was being, being sort of good at this skill of understanding accounting and tax um, didn't feel like enough in my day-to-day work. While I absolutely loved where I worked and the people I work for, um, it was just an incredible company to work for. I felt like I wasn't connecting enough with people. So I have sort of this personality that's uh, both analytical, but also just a tremendous amount of love and compassion for people. And particularly young adults who are having a hard time making that decision of what's next and feeling that pressure of, wow, I have to choose a major. I have to choose a career. I'm only 20 years old. How could I possibly make any of these decisions? You know, let alone I'm, let alone the fact that I'm paying for it and I have all these student loans building up and um, just the weight of those decisions sort of kept my heart always interested in the college age student. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, yeah, it was sort of an easy decision really Um, And then, of course, the sort of fun side of it is I have summers off now. Just a a small perk. But I think going back to the comment that you made, you know, we can pivot. Like people have asked me, you know, how did Mm -hmm. I get to where I am today? I'm like, oh, my gosh, my road is so windy and curvy. Yes, it's always been pretty much in financial services related fields, but there's there's been a lot of. Um, pivots to my career. And I think one of the the things that college students 
struggle with, as you mentioned, is, oh my gosh, I have to choose a major. Oh my gosh, I have to choose a job. One thing that I wish they knew more about was that it's not a forever job. It's not a forever decision. It's a for now. I mean, yes, if you love it and you're passionate about it, great. But if I had said, I'm only ever going to do cost accounting or tax accounting or something like that, then I would have never found this spectacular career that I have as a financial planner because I would have been blinded and I wouldn't have gone down those curvy, windy roads. So I think, you know, in, in your situation where you can say to somebody that this is just a stepping stone, like when you're done with your career in 30 or 40 years, you have gone in places, if you allow yourself, you have gone to places that you never, you aren't even thinking of right now because who who even knows what's going to be available at that point in time. So that's fabulous. And and what has driven you, so, so pivoting just a little bit, what, when did you start to become aware of the decisions that you were making and how it affects our ecology? Well, it actually started, so I got my job as a professor and sort of this whirlwind of things happened in my life. Um, Purchased my first home, got my job as a professor and got married sort of all in the same year. It was a crazy, crazy season of my life. Um, But the awareness of being environmentally friendly and truly feeling the impact of what I do on a daily basis and how that can affect our environment started actually when I bought my first home. So I bought it just shortly before we got married. And I I don't know what it was about that significant event. So just thinking back to, you know, your first home, the first time you buy a home, um, it's a huge thing, especially for a first time home buyer. It changes everything in your life, just like how kids change everything. Um, It changes your finances. It changes how you spend your time and definitely, uh, definitely eats into your, your budget at the end of the day. So my awareness was like, wow, you know, I own this home and this little piece of property. And I suddenly had this awareness of stewarding this little thing that I had, this little piece of property well, because this is my little chunk of land, my little corner of the world. And I started to look at what impact does my home have on my yard and my neighborhood and my community at large. And then the whole world, it's like, you know, I have all these chemicals that I use and I have all this waste every Every week you pile waste at the end of your driveway and some stranger comes and picks it up and puts it in a truck and hauls it somewhere. Um, And I just became not overwhelmed in a bad way, but maybe overwhelmed in an exciting way. Like, wow, I can, I have this home now. I can really make a difference um, through stewarding my home well and stewarding my finances well to buy things that are environmentally friendly and environmentally conscious or buying things that are reusable instead of disposable. And I think that's how the journey started was just that event of buying my very first home. And since then, where, I guess, where have you gone, you know, after that? Like, you know, cause I know it's, it's not, you've taken it broader You've taken it onto the campus. You've taken it out into the community. So talk a little bit about that. So I, my biggest thing, what I, what I really enjoy doing and what I'm passionate about um, is just sharing little tips and tricks that I find with my family and friends or my coworkers or my students, uh, because these changes we can make in our life are really easy and they don't cost us any money. In fact, a lot of them can save us money. Um, just having an awareness of what we purchase can save us money. Um, so a really good example would be um, Professor Scott Dumond, like you had mentioned, he introduced us. And they were over at our house for dinner one night. And um, so it always comes up when people come over to our house because they see that we don't use paper towels or plastic wrap or things like that, Ziploc bags, things that we don't use. So it always comes up naturally. And so after that evening, it had come up casually, some of the things that my husband and I do 
And, and he came back to me a couple of weeks later and said, Hey, you know, I was thinking about something you said in regards to using disposable product like aluminum foil. And I just chose something else. I could have used aluminum foil for this particular thing. And I chose to use like a silicone mat. Um, And I realized that just sort of walking the walk and living the way that I do, which is trying to be environmentally friendly, can make an impact on my friends and family. Um, And I don't have to be uh, sharing it all over social media. I don't have to throw it in people's faces. It doesn't have to be a political agenda. Um, It's just me and my husband doing something that we care about and people can watch and observe and uh, maybe take some of that into their own homes. So why don't you share with us a few, I mean, I know you just mentioned that you don't use paper towels. And so what are some of the ways, because I do think that often what I hear people say is I would like to be more environmentally friendly or I would like to eat organic food or, you know, all of those kind of comments, but it's so expensive. So give us some hacks that bring that expense quote unquote down. Sure. Um, it is definitely not expensive. There are certain things that are expensive. Like it's really expensive to buy a solar panel or a new Prius. Um, but there are really inexpensive things we can do. So some of my most basic hacks take place in the bathroom and the kitchen. So if you think of every time you go to Target or Walmart and you fill up your cart um, and you're buying things that you need at, at the store. So you're buying food and paper product and you're buying Um, maybe shampoo, conditioner, all sorts of things, whatever you fill your card up with. Um, But if you just stop and look for a moment at what you're purchasing and think to yourself, am I buying this product to use it and then put it in the trash? And there are some things we buy in our household very consistently that are pricey. They can definitely add up. And we truly like use it. We touch it once and we throw it in the trash. Um, So those are things like Ziploc bags, um, plastic wrap, tin foil, paper towels, uh, Swiffer mops, uh, Clorox ready wipes, all those things. Um, If you've got all those things in your cart that you might buy every couple weeks, every few weeks, you know, that could be 50 to a hundred dollars of, products that you're just sort of taking out of a package, using it for a few seconds, and then throwing it in the trash. Um, So finding creative ways to replace those is really helpful and ends up saving us a ton of money. So um, paper towels, for example, we probably only use one roll of paper towels per year. Um, We just use, we have a ton of rags or not rags, but, you know, kitchen towels and we change it every day and we use it for all sorts of stuff. Um, Ziploc bags can be very easily eliminated with just glass Pyrex dishes or glass storage containers. So if you think of every time you buy a bag of, uh, or a box of Ziploc bags, maybe that costs three or $4, you could have purchased maybe one Pyrex container Um, So that's what we did over time is just, you know, going to the store instead of buying a thing of Ziplocs, let's just buy one glass container. And now we have just a full cupboard of glass products and glassware that we use and never have to buy any Ziplocs or any paper towels and, you know, anything like that, that we would have just thrown out. It started to really ache me and having, like I said, having my first home, I'm sure everybody knows that that is a big budget changer. So we were really having to watch how we spend our disposable income, like whatever money is left uh, that comes to you in your paycheck after taxes. What do you do with that disposable income? And the reality of spending my disposable income, my precious disposable income on products that are just going to get disposed, uh, really sort of ached me and I I didn't care for it. So we just started tackling these things one by one. I love that you're bringing it back to your core values of spending. 
Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that we often talk about with people, if you're a a Maslow's fan of hierarchy, then you know the very top part of that is Mm self-actualization. And self-actualization is when your money, in, in terms of money goes, is when your money, spending of your money matches your core values, right? So when you're talking about the way you're choosing to spend your money, Maybe, you know, maybe it does end up costing a little bit more ultimately, but it means that your core values and your spending actually match together. Because I can hear some people saying, yes, but you're using more electric, you know, or more water because you're washing some of these things. So doesn't one, you know, counteract the other? And and even, even if the answer to that question is yes, ultimately you're still matching your core values. And that is so important when we talk about money and, and how we spend money um, just, just in general. So I love that, that that's what brought it together um, was this idea of, I don't feel good about this. And so I'm going to make this change and then I'm going to share it with other people so that they, they might find um, value and, um, you know, you know, different use of their money as well, depending on how they feel about these things. So I absolutely love that. You know, one question that comes to mind and it, and it's, it's sort of related in a certain way, but when you were a kid, was that, was, were there any conversations around money that, you know, do you think planted that seed? I, I have to say, I think some of it came from my grandmother. She had this really sweet sign in her house that said, make it do, wear it out, use it up or do without. And that was kind of a a saying that always stuck with me. I can't say I always appreciated it until I had, uh, you know, my own income and my own home. She instilled some of that just with values and something that she presented in your home. And it's a generational thing. Um, What she passed down, she passed that little sign down to me and, um, and now I have that in my home. And that was one of the first things I hung up in my home was this little sign. And when people see it, they come into my home, they can see it and they ask about it. And just because it's cute and, and old and neat. Um, and I can pass that on to other people, just like how my grandma passed that saying on to me. And, and now I share it with my husband and, and he knows this saying and, and he shared it with, with others. So that's just sort of a, fun generational thing, but just speaks to the fact that our legacy is, is passed down in just the way that we hold, um, not necessarily hold, but the way that we present ourselves to mm-hmm. our friends and family around us. Well, we often will say around here, many people have heard this, that, you know, if, if we can have a conversation with our money about how how it's working for us and not how we're working for it mm-hmm. um, then you know it it really does come down to I don't mind spending x on y as long as I enjoy it as long as it's important to me as long as it's not putting me in financial you know strain constraints or dire constraints you know that kind of thing but <laughs> But overall, looking at um, just looking at the general connection that, you know, some people go through life and they don't, they don't even think about it. Right. They absolutely just spend money. Right. And so if you're having a conversation with money or you've, you've had this, I mean, I think it's great that your grandmother said that, by Mm -hmm. the way, I, that may be our quote for our our show today, because I, I think it is really important that you know, if we think about our grandparents, they were raised in a very, very different time. Like I remember both my great grandparents as well as my mother's mother talking about, you know, waste makes haste kind of type thing. And, you know, how they would reuse things over and over and over. And we have become so disposable. Um, my husband and I, as you know, spend our winters down in Florida and we are amazed when we walk around on garbage day, the number of items that are put out to the curb that look 
like they're in perfect condition. And we always say, gosh, we wish we could like snag all this up and go donate it. Absolutely. Because, you know, it, it just, I mean, like, you know, bikes and chairs and things that maybe need a small amount of repair, but for somebody who is living very, um, economically because they either have to or want to by giving it to these charitable organizations and buying from these charitable organizations, repurposing, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. it really does help our economy enormously. And so, you know, that going back to your grandparents, the, the comment that you're, or the um, notion of your grandmother giving to you something that has now been implemented in your life. It just goes the earlier, just to show the earlier we start talking about that with people or our kids, they may not necessarily appreciate it. Like you said, it, that point in time in their life, but later on that seed has been planted, right? Yeah. It's, it's really significant. And if you think of how our grandparents live, they didn't buy products they just didn't it wasn't a part of their culture to buy products that ended up immediately in the trash it wasn't a part of their culture to buy clothing we treat clothing as almost disposable now um, because we can get it so inexpensively we didn't treat clothing as disposable Um, we didn't treat the environment or our curbside as just a place where we dump stuff it just um it was a totally different mindset in how people spend their disposable income. It, it wasn't an option. You wouldn't have done that. That would have seemed silly. It would have seemed silly to my grandmother when she was a child to throw out a sweater that had a hole in it. You would have just so mended it. Yeah. Very simple, of course. So now it's like, you know, this thought crossed my mind the other day, how to pair of pants and the hem fell out. And I said, Oh, I got to throw these pants out and meet a new pair. And I'm like, what am I saying? Like, I know how to hem these pants. I'm just going to fix them. It, you know, and it took me seven minutes to hem the pants and, and then I wore them to work and it was totally fine. No, I would be the person that says I can't hem them, but I know people who can, sure. and I'll take them a bottle of wine if they'll hem my pants for exactly. me. <laughs> so, you know, when you think about, um, either some of the, the influences, um, you know, from childhood or some of the things that you've learned, um, since college and that time frame, And, and, and again, I'm talking, you know, from the ecology perspective a little bit, but also just in general, can you think of, I mean, the last example that you gave was great, but some money mistakes that you have either seen or uh, made in, in your life? Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. Um, I, I chose to go to college pretty young and made a lot of decisions regarding college very young. Um, so my biggest financial mistake most definitely was taking out significant student loans at such mm-hmm. a young age. Um, and that wasn't anyone's, you know, that wasn't my parents' fault or my fault. You just, we just didn't know. And you don't know what life is going to hold several years down. So it's just, it's a risky thing. It's a risky business getting into student loans, especially at a young age. Uh, do I regret having the degree? No, I don't. Uh, could I done, have done it differently? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I could have done it slower. I could have worked part-time and gone to school part-time instead of going to school full-time. There was a lot of things I could have done Um, so, and I don't live in a place of regret about that, but I definitely will advise my children differently. Um, and, Mm -hmm. you know, from my perspective, from a generational standpoint, would hope to contribute for my children if possible. Um, but yeah, so it's not about living in a place of regret. It's just passing on maybe a better tip to my children in the future. Well, I know um, we're actually going to be up at Alfred State College in maybe a week and a half or so. Myself and Becky Partridge, who is a graduate of Alfred State College and, you know, is a financial planner as well. And we're going to be talking specifically about student loans because, um, you know, people don't realize the uh, avenues uh, that you can get help with student loans. They wait too long. They, if, if anybody has been following this podcast for a while, they know that that's like a a big soapbox that I could get on and, sure. and won't today, I promise. <laughs> um, but it, 
it is something that um, we we wish there was a way to educate students while they're going through college on this particular topic. Because I think if they saw the impact, I mean, they all have to go through the credit counseling process, I guess you call it credit counseling, the counseling process when they apply for a student loan. But the the understanding isn't there that when they click that button and it says, well, you know, your payment is going to be $25 a month based on this loan, but it's $25 based on that loan plus $25 based on the prior loan plus $25 based on the loan before that and the loan before that. And when they get out of college, all of those loans end up being, you know, two to $300 a month, which can be very hard for somebody who's freshly coming out of college to come up with. I mean, that's a car payment absolutely you know, easily. So to be able to get, you know, when I say is get my grubby little hands on them before they make those mm-hmm. <laughs> decisions, fully understand the impact of those decisions, that would be, um, that would be so ideal. And, uh, and, and they don't teach it in the CFP program, unfortunately. Right. <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully uh, with Becky and I going up there, and, and helping to educate uh, from an outsourced perspective, you know, more students start to become aware of what their options are around that. So thank you for once again, bringing up my favorite topic. Absolutely. <laughs> no, and thank you for what you do on campus. And I think it's great. Well, once they can, once students see it, I think it does start to sink in and maybe it takes hearing it a few times, but I have an appreciation yeah. for people like you who are trying to protect our students from some serious issues down the road. Well, and it's not just, you know, I I think one of the questions that I often ask people is, you know, for me, it's one of the biggest, biggest concerns I have for this next generation. And although I don't have kids, I have nieces and nephews, and I do think about how it's going to impact them. And and it is one of the biggest financial concerns that I have for them. Um, And and you probably have that same financial concerns for the students that you're, um, that you're mentoring and, and guiding, but you mentioned you would do things differently for your children. Um, what are some of the financial concerns that you have for them or your, for your family members and, and how, what are some tips that you might pass along that might help other listeners? Well, a couple of my biggest concerns for my future family, um, and, and this is really a topic between my husband and I right now, we're, we're newlywed and Um, wanting to start a family soon. Um, But teaching our children the importance, first of all, of saving, setting aside savings. Um, Giving is also really important to my husband and I. So teaching them from a young age to invest their money in savings, but also invest in causes that are important to you. And there is in my heart, actually equal value of investing in both your retirement and investing where your heart leads you as far as um, giving money to charities or, you know, whatever organization is really important to you. Um, So I think those two things are the most important. And those were instilled in me from my parents as well. Um, The freedom to give to others Definitely came from my parents and just always the constant reminder of trying to save, trying to save, even when it's really difficult is, is really important. And I hope to model that really well for my children. And of course, teaching your children that credit cards are, you know, credit cards, student loans are just a terrible idea. Stay away from them. And um, there are always emergencies, absolutely. Um, but if we can avoid it, especially at that really pivotal age of like 18 to 25 is, is when I've noticed my peers and friends getting into some really bad financial decisions. Those, those decisions you make at that particular age have such a long-term consequence because it takes, you're not necessarily earning high income at that age in your life. So the ability to pay back debt at that particular age is extremely difficult. And it is very easy to fall into the trap of acquiring a lot of debt at that age. So hoping to teach our children to steer clear of that, if if at all possible, Mm -hmm. is really important to us. 
Yeah, I think, you know, the the difference between when I grew up is, you know, it was a very cash environment still. And so um, I, I will often say to people, if there's a weakness that you have around spending, that's what you should spend cash on. Yeah. Right. So we joke about my wine fetish and my shoe fetish. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, um, there's a certain amount of money that I will set aside and, and that's my cash purchases. And once that money is gone, then I'm done doing that, right? That's done. That was the certain amount that I said I was going to commit. That was the conversation that I had with my money about how much I was going to spend on those particular two, because they're my weaknesses. I could easily go over budget in those two particular areas. So if there's a particular area that you're really um, apt to overspend in, because it's, you know, it's just, you love it but you know, it's an expensive habit and you, you want to get control of it. That's where I go back to, you know, carry some cash. Yeah. And once that cash is gone on that particular topic, then it's gone. You know, you're done for that month or week or whatever you've set your budget up for. So, um, I love that you're going to, and I'm, you know, of course I have the same financial concerns about debt of our country and for our children in the future and, and teaching them to become more educated about it. And, Again, one of my soapboxes, let's get it back in schools. You know, let's get it in the high schools because not everybody goes to college. Let's get it back in the high schools. Right. Let's get you know, our, our kids educated around money and that will help um, them make better money choices. And, and I've heard, you know, we don't judge how people spend their money here at all. But if we can educate people on money conservativeness or frugalness or whatever you might want to call it, then, you know, we're a step above and people, people are smart. They just need some additional education around the topic. Like debt isn't, you know, how, how do you read a financial statement? You know, that doesn't come like ingrained in your mind. (laughs) It's not like breathing, you know, it is something that we are taught and the sooner we can get in the school system to teach them the better. So that is another soapbox for another session that uh, my listeners have heard. So uh, how about in your journey, have you heard, have you received any advice that you now look back on and say, maybe that wasn't the best advice for me? Yeah. So, so the advice for that would definitely also come back to the student loans. And that was, um, you know, look at the salaries of accountants coming out of college and their strong salaries for entry-level positions. You'll be able to pay off your loans on that salary. Uh, you won't have a hard time with that. Um, and, and it's important to get your degree and just get the degree. And once you're done, you'll be able to pay back your loans on that salary. And, uh, Gosh, I, I did put a lot of faith in that advice, and and that's not what happened. Uh, life takes all sorts of turns, and you know, you get out of college, and all of a sudden, you have to pay for healthcare, you have to pay for your car and your car insurance and your apartment or your house, and maybe there's a medical emergency or you know, things happen, whatever it is, and a few years pass, and you're like, wow. I really haven't made much of debt in, in those loans. My goodness. Um, so being a little bit more realistic would have been helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And and so maybe do your own research is the lesson that I hear. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Realistic numbers. No. Yeah. And, and maybe, maybe seek out some mentors or some people that are, have graduated a couple of years ahead of you and ask them what they're struggling with. Right. I don't know if that's, yeah. What, um, we're, we're winding down to our, our, I guess, closing. Um, and I so appreciate you taking time out and what you're doing for the students yourself. But as you may know, I have just a couple of few questions that I love to ask at the end of of the session today, especially considering that you're working with young minds and and not so young minds sometimes Mm -hmm. too with, with career changers and and people going back to college. But at this stage of your life, what would you say is the definition of success? Well, that's an easy one. Um, For success to me is maybe a little different than what most people would say. Um, But I think that, I am successful. I consider my day a success. 
um, short term, if I was really present in everything that I was doing that day. So if I find myself to be present in the moment with the students I'm teaching or a conversation I had with my husband or present in the purchases and the financial decisions that I'm making at that particular moment, like that is a successful day. And then I can think when I hit retirement, you know, regardless of what I accomplished in my career, if every day I went to work and lived in the moment and was active in my job and active in my family and with my friends and my community, if I just, I was present, I wasn't always on my phone. I wasn't always answering emails. I wasn't always worried about social media or the news. If, if I was just there in those moments, then I can say I surely had a successful life. I surely had a successful career because I actually lived it. I didn't just breeze through it. I didn't just get through, you know, the next 30 years till I retire. I just lived every moment that I was in. I think that's definitely how I would define success for me personally. I love that. That is so supportive of my catchphrase of life is about events supported by dollars and cents. I don't, I don't think I could have given a better definition. (laughs) And Anna, when you think about what to the core of you, when you have those moments where you need your soul fed, what would that be? Soul feeding. For me, hands down, that is experiencing nature. If it's sitting by a campfire or hiking, doing something outside, um, if I take those moments to be just in nature and in the beauty of everything that's created around us, I savor those and that really feeds my soul. And uh, maybe that's why I like wine so much because I think wine does a nice job of helping with that moment of just pausing and taking a breath and savoring some things that you really care about. Um, I would agree. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing like sunshine on my face and a glass of wine in my hand. (laughs) It does wonders for your soul. It really does. And being around people that you love, right? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And is there one piece of advice that you would give to listeners? Yeah. If I could say one thing to listeners, as far as you know, bringing the conversation back to examining what income you have and, and how you spend that disposable income, um, take an inventory. The next time you go do your shopping trip, take an inventory of the things that you buy and take an in- inventory of the waste that you produce at the end of every week or every month, um, just take it all in before you make any changes. Observe it, maybe add up the numbers and and how much you spend, um, you know, count how much waste you put by the curbside. And from there, just pick maybe four or five things that you can swap out. Easy, inexpensive, simple things that can make a tremendous impact on both your wallet and the environment. Really simple things. Just pick a couple that um, are manageable to you and maybe your interest in it will develop over time. But I think just taking that initial inventory is what seems to surprise people the most. Like, wow, I, I really do put a lot of stuff in the trash that I didn't need to, or never maybe even needed to purchase in the first place. Um, Because I think you will be so surprised at the effects on your budget at the end of every week um, with how much money you can save with simple little things. I love that. I love that we can just have a conversation with our money and see how that really interacts with our values and our, and how we might be able to keep a little bit more of it if we do that. So Anna, in closing, one of the things that I absolutely love to know is um, we talked about your favorite wine 
from Lakewood, a Riesling, one of the Rieslings from Lakewood, is there something in particular you would suggest pairing with that wine? Is there something that just brings out the flavor and makes that flavor pop of that particular wine? Yeah. So my husband is a phenomenal cook and he makes everything from scratch. So one of our sort of eco-friendly things is making everything from scratch for the most part. And my husband makes the most incredible gluten-free pizza on the planet. And so (laughs) it's sort of tacky to say that I love having pizza with wine, but I absolutely love it. It is his labor of love. He does it every Friday. It's sort of our, uh, I don't know, little tradition on Friday nights. We both have to eat gluten-free. So he makes this incredible pizza, a little different every week. And it's just sort of our thing. We absolutely love it. Kind of tacky, but it's okay. We're proud of it. (laughs) Well, I would love to share that recipe with our guests if you'd be willing to share it with me. I will ask (laughs) Um, you. We um, we have a lot of clients, um, and I'm I'm not I'm not celiac, but I am gluten insensitive, um, and I have not been diagnosed with it. Sure, uh, but I definitely. I recognize sure, it. Yeah. So um, <laughs> um, I would love that recipe. And I think some of our guests would also love that recipe if or our um, listeners would love that recipe, if at all possible. Yes, I'm sure he would be happy to share. He's very proud of it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we can't say thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule to to spend the um, hour with us or approximately and to share with us your tips and how we can all uh, become more earth friendly and and money friendly at the same time. So, Anna, thank you again for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. And that will about do it for this week's episode of Wine and Dime. You can visit Amy on the web at irvineadvise.com or you can follow her on Twitter at Amy Irvine Advise or on her Facebook page, Irvine Wealth Planning Strategies. If you have any questions, comments, or topics that you would like to hear about, feel free to contact us through Twitter or Facebook and we will do our best to answer your questions. We would love to hear from you. And thank you for listening. <laughs>